we commence today's show with the legendary, and I do mean iconic, consumer advocate and former presidential candidate Ralph Nader, who has a new book out called The Rebellious CEO, 12 Leaders Who Did It Right. I am pleased once again in my career uh, to be in dialogue with the iconic uh, consumer advocate Ralph Nader. Ralph Nader, my friend, how are you, sir? Good. How are you, uh, Travis? It's been a long time, man. It's good to hear your voice again. How you been? Good, good. <clears throat> Glad to see you're up and on the air. Yeah, man. oh yeah. You know, you, we uh, you know how we do it around here. We got we got to keep it moving. Got to keep it moving. A lot a lot to be done this year. A lot to talk about. And I'm glad I've got you for these thirty minutes. Let me let me just start with two broad questions. Just two big questions, and I'll narrow it and get right in right into your book here in a moment. But first of all, um, when you look at the political landscape right now, I'm asking you a broad question so you can go anywhere you want to go. When you look at the political landscape right now, Ralph Nader, what are you seeing? Well, in terms of foreign and military policy, there's not much difference between the Republicans and Democrats. They're mm. both on board to destroy the Palestinians in Gaza and ship another $14 billion uh, uh, of weaponry to Israel. And the empire is all over the world. We have bases in over 90 countries. We have 36 military installations in the Middle East. And there's not much uh, space between the congressional Democrats and congressional uh, Republicans. Domestically, uh, I think you have to hand it to the Democrats. They have a better social safety net. Mm -hmm. They're better but not good enough on civil rights and civil liberties. Um, they want to preserve Medicare, uh, Social Security, where Trump wants to preserve Social Security, but he doesn't much like Medicare, and he certainly doesn't like uh, Medicaid. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of regulating Wall Street, uh, the Democrats talk a good game, but it's surprising to some, as reported in the Capitol Citizen, which is our new newspaper, Davis, on mm -hmm. Congress, mm -hmm. uh, whose motto, by the way, is democracy dies in broad daylight. Oh, yeah. And the article has Biden's Justice Department has brought fewer corporate crime cases than even Trump's Justice Department. Mm -hmm. So we have a mixed bag. It's too bad we have a two-party duopoly. Uh, but there are third parties, and uh, people should take a look at them. I believe people should vote their conscience. Uh, and we'll all be better off as a result, and then we'll get some reforms like getting rid of the Electoral College, uh, gerrymandering, and uh, making one man, uh, one woman, uh, one vote count. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm just getting started with Ralph Nader. <laughs> I, am, I am laughing already. It's been a while. He and I have known each other for many, many years. I consider him a friend, uh, and not just an iconic uh, and treasured American, uh, but he's almost 90 years old. He'll be 90 on February 27th, later this month. Uh, and as you can tell, his command <laughs> is as sharp as ever of all these issues. I, I hope I get to 90, and I hope that my mind works the way his does when I when I get to be that age. You heard him say a moment ago that uh, the, uh, the motto of their paper is that democracy dies in broad daylight. The late great judge, federal judge Damon Keith, who uh, the black judge out of Detroit who had uh, had the the ruling on the Watergate case back in the Nixon era once wrote famously that democracies die behind closed doors. That's a great line. Democracies die behind closed doors. Here comes Ralph Nader in 2024 telling you that democracy dies in broad daylight. I love it. The one and only Ralph Nader right now on Tavis Smiley. 
You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Ranked number 45 on the heavy 100 list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. Sounds Sounds different. different. This is Tavis Smiley. This is Tavis Smiley in dialogue with one and only Ralph Nader. Uh, Ralph Nader, obviously the uh, most iconic, most noted consumer advocate, I think, in the history of this country. And I'm honored to be in dialogue with him. He is uh, corporate America's fiercest critic and one Supreme Court Justice, William Powell, in fact, called him the single most effective antagonist ever of American business. And I'm delighted to be in dialogue with him uh, again, once again, in my broadcast career. Ralph Nader, you didn't wait wait for me to ask, man. You went straight there. So let me let let me follow you. Um, uh, Not long ago, our our friend and brother Cornell West was in this studio. There's Cornell West. We also RFK, uh, Bobby, uh, Bobby Candy, Bobby Jr., run an ad uh, during the Super Bowl for his independent campaign. Of course, there's Jill Stein, there's Marianne Williamson, there's Dean Phillips. So you're right about the fact that while everybody talks about Trump and Biden, it is not a binary choice. But since you went there again, let me follow you. For over 20 years now, for over two decades, you have been blamed for the election of George W. Bush. Had you not been in that race, Al Gore would not have lost to George W. Bush. They blamed you for that for for two decades now, uh, two decades later, how do you respond to that criticism, sir? Complete scapegoating by the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. They never look at themselves in the mirror and say, how, how come they didn't landslide this bumbling governor, George W. Bush in Texas, who couldn't put three sentences together, who had a terrible record in civil rights, terrible record on children protection, uh, let the polluters pollute at will, and gave all kinds of tax breaks, including to his own uh, business uh, in Texas, and they couldn't defeat him. So they always blame the Greens. They always blame anybody but themselves. But they don't blame, for example, 330,000 Democrats in Florida voted for, for Bush in 2000. How about that? Mm-hmm. And how about that uh, the Supreme Court uh, ruled, uh, overruled the Florida Supreme Court uh, recount of the votes for the whole state, stopped it cold? And they were Republican justices, gave the presidency uh, to George W. Bush, which is like, which is why we say he was selected in mm-hmm. 2000, mm-hmm. Uh, not elected. So, mm-hmm. you know, they got to look at themselves in the mirror again now coming up. Why can't they landslide the worst, most corrupt, most corporate indentured uh, party voter suppression uh, clearly on the record? against extending the child tax credit, raising the minimum wage against workers, children, against women's rights, and, and it's a close race? Well, that reflects pretty badly on the Democratic Party, doesn't it, Tavis? Yeah, what, 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 what do you make of the fact that with all that you've just said, I can't do it any better, what do you make of the fact that they cannot landslide Donald Trump? What, what do you make of that? Because they're not close enough to the people. Mm. Look, politics means... Uh, how government impacts the lives and livelihoods of people. That's what politics is. Mm-hmm. So anybody uh, who listens to your show and said, ah, I'm not into politics, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to vote, it's, it's useless, uh, you can't escape politics. Politics means you don't get paid what you earn. Mm. Politics means you don't get covered for your health care. Bad politics means that the corporate supremacists dominate everything, uh, addict your children five, seven hours a day on that iPhone into the Internet gulag 
run by the wardens like uh, Zuckerberg and others, uh, Facebook, Meta, Instagram, separating these kids from their parents, community, nature, uh, instilling in them bad, bad promotions for junk food and junk drink and violent programming. That's what bad politics means. You don't want to do anything about that? Mm. You know, look at yourself in the mirror. Don't you have a higher estimate of your own significance, person? That's what you've got to talk to people about and, and say to the Democrats, you're not going to win elections if you don't connect with working people. What uh, Bishop Barber calls the poor working class. Mm-hmm. The poor working class. He's starting a 32-state tour That's for right. the Poor People's Campaign. That's As you know so well, Tavis, because mm-hmm. you did a similar campaign with Cornell West mm. a number of years ago when Obama mm-hmm. uh, was president. And, um, and his point is very, very clear. A 10% increase in voter turnout by the poor working class in the swing states defeats Donald Trump. Just a 10% increase. Mm. 120 million people are not going to vote in the, in the November election who are eligible to vote and yeah. eligible to register. So that... So, so that when uh, again, he's, he's he's Ralph Nader still got it. He's he's as sharp as ever. When when uh, when people refer to Cornell West, I hate this term, but when people refer to Cornell West as they did you back in the day, uh, or Bobby Kennedy or others as spoiler candidates, um, how, how does that word land on you? A spoiler candidate, as if as if these votes belong to these Democratic and Republican candidates. Yeah, exactly. The Republicans and Democrats think they own the votes. Mm. They don't have to earn them. Mm-hmm. When they call third-party independent candidates to have as spoilers, that is a politically bigoted word. They yes. never use it against each other. That's you right. never see the Democrats and <laughs> Republicans calling each other spoilers. spoilers exactly. <laughs> I and love by it. the way, yeah. everybody's supposed to have an equal right to run for election. So if everybody has an equal right to run for election... And they all trying to get votes from one another. Either they're all spoilers of each other, or none of them are spoilers. Let's get rid of that politically bigoted word, because it has discriminatory consequences. It helps keep people off the ballot. It intimidates people from running for election, and it 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 rejects the voters getting more voices and choices. What's wrong with the voters getting more voices and choices? So, 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 party duopoly. So, so, dialing for the same corporate dollars and obeying the same corporate paymasters. Yeah. So, so rhetorically, rhetorically, the answer to your question, what's wrong with more voices and more choices is that if more voices and more choices help land Donald Trump back in the white house, that's the real problem for our democracy. That's the, that's the answer to that question. Many would pose uh, to you, Ralph Nader. It's a very simple answer, and the Democrats have refused, and that is uh, instant runoff voting, where people vote for their first choice, second choice, third choice. If on Election Day nobody wins a majority, the second choice triggers in, and the third choice triggers in until uh, automatically Mm -hmm. someone wins a majority. Mm -hmm. And that way uh, they can't blame third parties. But the Democrats don't want any principled... Uh, competition. It isn't just that they don't want third parties to get votes. They don't want third parties to show them up mm-hmm. for what they are. Mm. No, I hear you. I hear you loud and clear. It's a, it's a strong argument, uh, powerful and persuasive, uh, that we deserve to have more choices. We deserve to have more voices, but there are those who stand in the way of that. I digress for now. Ralph Nader has made his point and made it quite clear. Let me shift now uh, to your new book, The Rebellious CEO, 12 Leaders Who Did It Right. I must tell you, Ralph, when this book came across my desk, I looked to say, 
to see if it was uh, indeed written by Ralph. I said, Ralph Nader wrote this book? Uh, Corporate America did something right? So I was actually kind of shocked until I got in it. And I understand the argument that you're making. So tell me why you wrote this book, The Rebellious CEO, 12 Leaders Who Did It Right. Because we got to have good yardsticks. And there are no yardsticks except what big business CEOs define as market fundamentalism. Hey, why are you doing this with the opiates? Why are you selling opiates? Well, it's a market demand. We're just responding to the market. Hey, why are you selling all these fossil fuels that are burning the earth? Oh, it's just market demand. Well, uh, they create the market. They manipulate it. They deplete it. They deceive it. They monopolize it. Corporate crime uh, destroys a free market. Getting big business subsidized. Uh, disadvantages small business who doesn't have the clout to get bailed out in Washington when uh, they have, uh, they're on hard times. So we want new yardsticks. And these CEOs, uh, they, they basically reversed the business model, Tavis. Mm-hmm. They said, okay, we're going to start this company, uh, Patagonia, Interface, uh, Midas Muffler, whatever, uh, Body Shop. Uh, we're going to start this. And we're going to first treat our workers well. Second, we're going to treat consumers well. Mm. Third, we're going to treat the environmental health well. Four, we're going to speak out publicly against injustice. Five, we're going to criticize our uh, our companies in our own industry. We're not going to shut up and, and censor ourselves. And they all made money. So they reversed the business model, mm. but they always paid attention to profits. And they made money. The founder of Southwest Airlines... Uh, Herb Kelleher, when he got underway, I couldn't believe how the how the uh, stewardess and stewardess treated people so wonderfully and, and tried to say yes to them instead of the other airlines saying, sorry, company policy, no. So I called him up one day. I said, Herb, everybody called him Herb. I said, thank you for treating uh, airline passengers so well. And he said, uh, yeah, what do you mean? I so I, I I'm glad you put consumers top priority. Mm-hmm. He said I didn't put consumers top priority. He said my top priority is my people, which he called his workers. If you treat the workers well, they're going to treat the consumers well. Mm. If the consumers get w- treated well, they buy our services and our tickets and make our shareholders happy. That's the sequence, mm. and that's why I wrote this book. Uh, and it's a it's, it's a book for millions of college students majoring in business who are never given the yardsticks. They're Mm -hmm. never given the other side of how business can be responsible and how corporations can be our servants, not our masters. And some of these CEOs uh, were really revolutionary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ray Anderson uh, ran and founded Interface Corporation in Georgia, Atlanta. Mm -hmm. It's the biggest tile carpet manufacturer in the world. And in 1994, I heard a lecture by Paul Hawken on the ecology of commerce. And he came back and said to his colleagues, we're completely changing this company. We're going to make it carbon mutual and make more money and reduce our expenses and improve worker safety. By, by 2019, unfortunately he passed away in cancer, mm-hmm. but by 2019, they were the first significant company in America to be carbon neutral, and now they're going carbon negative. Mm. Uh, So these people were not just fooling around. They didn't overpay themselves because they wanted to to be an example for the workers. Not like Tim Cook of Apple. You know, a year ago, 
He was making $833 a minute. Mm. A minute, Tavis. $833 a minute, not counting benefits. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it is obscene. It is obscene. I've got three minutes left here. I could do this for hours if I had the time, if you had the time. Uh, your stamina is strong as ever, as I, as I mentioned mo- a moment ago. But let me just ask you right quick in the three minutes I have. Last year, as I've said many times, was the best year that I've seen, Ralph Nader, in a long time for workers. How did you read the, the success, the massive success in many places that workers had last year? And was that just an outlier, or do you think that's that's a wave coming into the future that workers will, you know, Dr. King always said uh, that people can only ride your back if it's bent, because once you straighten your back up, you're going somewhere. Workers seem to have straightened their backs up last year, Ralph Nader. Yeah, well, uh, just quickly, uh, one is that the Biden legislation during the pandemic, the trillions of dollars, it filtered down. Uh, then there was a worker shortage uh, for many reasons, mm-hmm. including uh, the pandemic. And then there's more union organizing. Uh, you, they're already starting, you know, in uh, Starbucks and Amazon and other places like that. So you put all those together, uh, shortage of workers and uh, the trillions of dollars into the economy from the Biden legislation through Congress and a rise in worker progressivism. This is the first time that major unions have demanded a ceasefire and humanitarian aid to Gaza. That's right. They would never do that in the past because there's up-and-coming young workers, many of minority workers, especially in the UAW and the teachers' union, and things are very promising on that score. Yeah. I um... Also, we write about this in the Capitol Citizen you want to get a new copy? It's on print only. We don't believe in putting it out on the Internet and all the distraction and everything. People love it. Go to CapitolHillCitizen.com. Hot off the presses today. Mm, I love it. Uh, he's, he's still doing it. and know, knows how to push, uh, push the product as he should. Uh, his new book is called The Rebellious CEO. 12 Leaders Who Did It Right. Uh, You hear me say all the time uh, on this program that I leave this studio every day smarter than when I came in. And I'm always grabbing something that I can hold on to for the rest of the day. Sometimes that thing shows up in the second hour, sometimes in the third hour, sometimes in the first hour, sometimes in the first 30 minutes. And Ralph Nader has given me my line for the day that I'll be noodling and marinating on and holding on to for a few days, I suspect, that line that he uttered earlier, a higher estimate of your own existence. That's what you need, a higher estimate of your own existence. Ralph Nader, I thank you for that line. It's, it's mine after today, brother. It's mine after today. And I thank you for your work and your witness all these years. And I especially thank you for this new book, The Rebellious CEO, 12 Leaders Who Did It Right. Ralph Nader, you got to come back on again, man, when you got more time. Of course, call anytime. Thank your listeners. I think they, they heard you. They heard you, uh, and they, they feel uh, uh, grateful, I'm sure, for this conversation with you. Uh, you always are straight, no chaser. You're always transparent, and I appreciate you. I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Stay, stay strong and take care of yourself. You too. All right, my friend. Ralph Nader. I mean, that that brother, as I said earlier in that conversation, uh, for 20 plus years, they've been blaming Ralph Nader for the election of George W. Bush. I didn't buy it then. I don't buy it now. And I hate that term spoiler and his uh, explanation for why we got to get rid of it in our discourse, get rid of it in our politics is the best uh, uh, explanation I have ever heard. I couldn't do better myself. But we need more voices. We need more choices. Don't come telling me that you know, Cornell West or Bob 
Bobby Kennedy or somebody as a spoiler. You beat Donald Trump. You want to beat Donald Trump? Beat Donald Trump. Beat him. And Ralph Nader makes a strong argument. You can't landslide this idiot. You can't landslide this fool. You can't do that, but you want to blame somebody else? Stop it. All right, more Tabby Smiley when we come forward.